May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So we're up to week four in our series on Paul and his letter to the Romans, to the churches in Rome. What I am presenting in these uh, sermons is one way of reading Paul. And I need to uh, confess that there are a number of other ways. And there would be a number of people who would disagree with what I'm saying about Paul's letter to the Romans. But um, I think this way of reading it uh, makes the most sense. And um, it's not based on my crazy ideas. Uh, These are ideas that I've got from people like N.T. Wright, Bishop academic, writer, uh, evangelical bishop from England, uh, who says we have been reading Paul wrong for far too long, and we need to kind of put him back in his context and read him as he would have first understood the world. And there are a number of other scholars who I've been reading who say the same thing. The trouble is our theology, like we think when we read the Bible, the Bible shapes our theology, and that in part is true, but the, other, the flip side is also true. Our theology, how we understand what's happening, shapes what we read in the Bible. So in the debate about homosexuality, for example, we have one group in the church who, um, because of their ideas about what all this is about, read the Bible and say it's very clear in the Bible, this is what the Bible says. And then there's people like me who have different ideas who go to the same passages and go, well, actually, no. This is another way of reading this. So, Paul is the same. Unfortunately, as I said right at the beginning, we don't get the person who took the letter to the Romans who then taught from it and explained it. We just get the letter. And we don't even live in the same world that he lives in. So our reading of Paul is quite complicated. It's not as straightforward as some people would like to make out. So there are a few things, I think, that when we read Paul, we need to keep in mind. And the first thing is that when Paul was around, Christianity was a Jewish sect. It wasn't a standalone religion like it is today. It was a tiny subset of Judaism. And most Christians were Jews. And so for Christians, they saw the world through Jewish eyes. And they understood that what Christ was on about was fulfilling their hopes as Jews. Now when Paul is writing, the divide is starting to happen. Partly because of Paul. Partly because he was so enthusiastic that Gentiles could be part of the church and not become Jews. That was causing a little bit of ruction. The Jewish Christians weren't happy about that. And the Jews en masse weren't happy about that because it kind of attacked their understanding of what it was all about. So that divide was happening but it doesn't really fully happen until after the fall of Jerusalem. So that is after Paul dies. So at this point to be Christian meant you were part of Judaism. And that leads to the second point we have to keep in mind that is Paul is a Jew. He's a radical Jew He's certainly sitting on the edge and he's skating around the edges and there are a lot of people aren't happy with what he's saying because he's saying, well, you can be a follower of Christ, a follower of the way and not be a Jew and not follow Torah, which is a pretty radical thing for a Jew to say. He's saying when we 
uh, become Christians, we then have to wrestle with our scriptures, which is Torah. None of that New Testament stuff exists yet because he's the first writer of this New Testament stuff. So he is saying you just don't read Torah as, like, literally. You have to wrestle with it. You have to grapple with it. You have to grapple with the scriptures to understand what's happening. It's interesting that people use Paul today to say you should just read the scriptures and and not worry about wrestling with it. It says this, so you should just obey it. And you use Paul to do that. Paul, of all people. I mean, you could use some of the other people and they'd be happy with that. But Paul, come on. He's the one that goes, are you kidding me? That's the exact opposite of what I was arguing about. And then thirdly, uh, Paul is writing to people he does not know well. And so he's trying to be politer. Uh, and... Uh, because he doesn't have that robust relationship that he had with the other people he wrote to. And he's being uh, much more careful about what he writes. He's laying it out. And what he's doing, is, as I've said, is he's writing to a divided church. And we can see this in the letter to the Romans, that there are a big chunk of Gentiles, but there's also a strong Jewish-Christian element in there as well. And the discussion is... Well, do you have to be a Jew to be a Christian? Do you have to follow Torah? Which kind of is all about what is this Christ event all about? And we can see how these things uh, are at work in the shape of the letter to the Romans. So chapters 1 to 4 are essentially about the problem. And one of the problems is that, uh, well, through Adam, although it's chapter 5 where he talks about Adam, who is not the first male, Adam is the one made from dust, so he is the first human. Through Adam, through Adam's disobedience, sin and death has come into creation. We have stopped worshipping the true God. We are now worshipping idols. And uh, this has placed a huge burden not only on all humanity but on creation as well. So last week or the week before was the week before we heard about creation groaning and humanity groaning, the Spirit of God groaning through us, yearning for a return to the pre-fall state, to the Garden of Eden. And so what Paul understands is that the covenant with Israel was that through Israel we would return to the pre-fall state. Well, that hasn't happened, so the Christ event is the one faithful Jew is the one through whom the covenant is fulfilled and we are now on the road to the restoration of humanity and the renewal of creation. So the problem then is the fall, But the other problem in here is that somehow people have become the centre of the story. That's part of the idolism. So for the Jews, they're saying, well, look, you know, God is working through us. We're super important. Uh, You know, you need to be one of us so that God can work through us. And the Gentiles are going, well, no, God is working through us. And actually Paul is saying, no, no, no. This is God at work. Like, we're invited into the work, but it's God's faithfulness that is at the centre of this. Not you Jews, not you Gentiles. Get over yourselves. This isn't a story about you. 
This is a story about God and God's faithfulness. So that's part of the problem. And so the second part of the book, which is chapters 5 to 8, which we've spent the last few weeks working our way through, is about that, God's faithfulness working through Jesus. And he finishes it with the passage we did hear last week, one of the great statements of Paul's, which is, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn it? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed, being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a great statement about God's faithfulness. But this statement of God's faithfulness raises a really important question, which the next section of the book is about, chapters 9 to 11. What about Israel? Has Israel been abandoned in all of this? Is God still faithful to the covenant with Israel? Or have they been ditched? because of their unfaithfulness, because they failed in their side of the deal. And, here's the kicker, if God is willing to ditch Israel, will God ditch us? That's the big question. So often when we read Romans 2 being about how God rescues us from our sin and takes us into heaven, this, these three chapters kind of get, uh, they're not that important, no one's really sure why Paul wrote them. They're kind of interesting, but we can just kind of place them to one side. But actually, if this book is about the fulfillment of the covenant for the renewal of creation and the restoration of humanity, and who through who God is working to continue that work, this becomes a very important question. This is not a side issue. This becomes a central issue for his work. It's a really, really important question. And for Paul, it was a burning personal question. We can hear that in today's reading, where he was willing to sacrifice himself for his people. He is a Jew, an Israelite, from the tribe of Benjamin. These are his people. So he is talking about his brothers and sisters. Paul's answer to all of this, which we will hear over the next few weeks, is essentially, yes, God is faithful. That the covenant holds despite all. That God does not and will not abandon his people, Israel. They are still first. And God does not abandon us. 
Now, in some ways, this feels like a little prosaic, a little, you know, it's not that important a question. But actually, I think it's a really important question for us as Christians today, because I think for a lot of us, there is a nagging little piece of doubt about God and God's faithfulness. When I first started the series, I talked about the minister down in Levin who said, if we are faithful, God is faithful. How often do we say that? How often do we put the if in front? If we are faithful, if we do this, if we say this prayer, if we behave in the right way, if we work hard enough, God is faithful. That if sneaks in there all the time. And when I'm talking to people in spiritual direction, that if question is always central. I mean, they know that it's a, a, an unhelpful question, but it has been in the centre of their lives in Christ all their lives because they were taught it. God is faithful when we are faithful. God loves us when we love God. It's always God's response to us. But Paul's argument is, it doesn't matter what we do, God loves us first. That's the message in the Gospels. God loves us first. You can respond or not, that's up to you, but God will not stop loving you. There is no if. God is faithful. Too often our lives become filled with fear and doubt. I mean, I know that in myself. I mean, I believe the covenant's fulfilled, that God is renewing creation and restoring humanity. But when you look around and look at the evidence, sometimes it's pretty hard to believe that, isn't it? And sometimes you kind of think, oh, is this really happening? And when you look at the state of the church, which is, well, I keep looking at these photographs of massive church events, and I look at the colour of the hair in those photos, and I think... We are an ageing lot, aren't we? And I look at photos of myself doing things and went, when did that guy with white hair or no hair in my case with a white beard end up up the front? How did that happen? Where are all the brown-haired people in these pictures? There are a few here. Not many. It's easy to get filled with fear and doubt and worry. We lose confidence that God is faithful. And then we put ourselves back into the middle of the picture. It becomes about us. We have spent, like I've been ordained for 30 years, we have spent all that 30 years, and I'm sure the conversation went on before that, and some of you could tell me about that, about what we can do to grow the church. It's all up to us. It's on our backs. I felt the burden of that when I was ordained. We had to save the church. We were the generation. Our great ideas, we're going to save it. Well, our great ideas didn't amount to much in the end. Never mind. But in all of those discussions, trusting God somehow wasn't part of the equation. It was all about us, what we did. If we do this, God will act. If we get into church growth, God will act. If we do natural church growth, God will act. If we do this cool thing, God will act. Always that if at the beginning. But Paul was saying there is no if. God is faithful. God has fulfilled the covenant. God is at work. 
Will you join in? It's a very different statement. And I'd have to say in most of the church discussions, I don't hear it that way. It is still about if we do this, if we do this. Paul is being very clear. God does not and will not abandon us, even when we do not get it and do not live it. God still is faithful. God does not and will not abandon humanity or creation, despite all the evidence. The covenant is fulfilled. Humanity is restored. But not yet completely. Creation is renewed, but not yet completely. The question for us is, do we believe this? Do we trust this? Do we live this? That is Paul's gift. I invite us just to reflect on those three questions for a moment. And then we'll stand and say the creed.